Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Welcome everyone back to the podcast. And I've, we've got the same illustrious crew as we had last week with Liam Newton and Panny Bogdanos in California and the uh, equally illustrious Paul McNulty in Manchester. Uh, and we, we start in the slightly murky late 70s in a, in a period of 10cc's history that I don't fully understand. And that's one of the reasons why we're so glad to have Liam on board. And Liam, I'd be really grateful if you could kick off and, and try and shed some light on exactly how this Girls' Animal Olympics, these two alternate universes, happened. Well, I guess um, you've got the situation where you've got 10cc Mark II on a roll um, through 1978, you know, the release of Bloody Tourists, probably their biggest selling album around the world and uh, the band do a big North American tour um, and then break for Christmas and they've got these projects lined up for 1979. We talked, I think, on my podcast about the the special with ABBA they were going to film. We had um, uh, tours of, you know, Australia and Japan lined up. There was potentially then a um, a film they were going to be in, I think, called Rock On, where they were going to be filmed on the side of Mount Fuji. Yep. And they were also lined up to write the soundtrack to this um, animated feature film, um, Animal, Animal Olympics. Unfortunately, on uh, January the 25th, Eric was involved in this tragic accident, car accident, um, when he was driving um, home from the, the studio. He'd been at a party at Duncan Mackay's house um, that evening. And... Uh, went off the road at, at 40 miles an hour and uh, through the windscreen and and suffered you know really um, you know significant serious um, injuries yeah. you know to to his left eye his left ear loss of feeling down the left side of his body and then taken into hospital and uh, and then had a very severe allergic reaction to some of the um, you know the antibiotics that they'd given him in there so 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 that was the end of end of and January and I guess the whole of 10cc you know, the project sort of came to a to a halt. I think the guys were all asked to sort of crack on with working on solar projects. Interestingly, I was looking through some of those um, track sheets you got from uh, from Harvey, and you can see people like Duncan recording solo material at Strawberry in February, you know, '79, and those kind of things. But basically, Eric goes home to to convalesce. Uh, the Animal Olympics album becomes something that that sort of Graham um, picks up to to write. Um, and record with the other guys in, in the band. Uh, and in the meantime, this other project comes up to write the, the, the soundtrack to uh, to Sumba, which is obviously one of the things that causes a bit of um, friction. I think uh, as you picked up on the, on the last on the last podcast. So I think uh, yeah, that's the that's the backdrop. So Graham um, uh, goes off to write and record um, Animal Olympics. Um, Eric convalesces, and then I guess during the early part of that convalescence gets offered the opportunity to write a soundtrack to his own film by uh, a chap called Josh Jacan, who I think was renowned for soft porn hmm. um, epi- epics, such as Emmanuel and the story of O, but he wanted to, I think, um, uh, film almost like what he described as a sort of a French Saturday night fever was more the vibe, I think, for this particular project. And, um, Eric agreed agreed to do it. So that's a bit of the, the, the context and the backdrop. The interesting thing is that, again, when you look at the um, 
the track sheets and, and also I, I've got the access to um, Rick Fenn's diary that I sort of talked about yes. um, you know on the on the podcast before you know Eric starts recording um, the girls soundtrack there's two songs that he records first there's the girls track mm. and warm 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 Just Eric and Paul Burgess, effectively, um, but Rick then adds the guitar solo onto onto Girls, and amazingly, that was all in June '79. So it's you know it's only five months after, or less than five months after, um, you know Eric was nearly killed in this in this accident, and then the rest of the Girls album was recorded while the Look Here album was being recorded uh, okay. at Strawberry South, which which created its own, you know, set of set of tensions. So mm. that's, that's I guess, the context, the, the backdrop to it. Thank you for that, Liam. Very, very interesting. And I've heard some of that before, and you, you, you've, you've been kind enough to share that with us before. Um, am I right in thinking that, that the director had approached Eric with regard to 10CC recording the soundtrack, rather in the same way that Anim Olympics and Sunburn were, were broached? Or was this purely uh, Eric Stewart? I don't think it was a ten, ever a 10cc project. Uh, I, I know that, um, I mean, I, this is hypothesis, but I don't know whether there was an element of, you know, Graham's doing a soundtrack, you know, there's there's an opportunity that's come up. I think there's that, there's that story in Eric's book where he went over to Paris because he was asked to produce um, a French singer. And he had this meeting with the French singer, Muriel Miru. I don't know her very well, whether I pronounced that correctly. Um and it was an un, it was a kind of pretty unsus, unsatisfactory meeting. Yes. So so he decided not to progress with that. But I think while he was in Paris, allegedly he was approached by then Josh Aiken and um, and, and agreed to to do it. So I don't, I don't think it was ever a 10cc project. And it turned out to be basically a, a two-way project am i right in thinking between eric and duncan yes you've got i think well if you, if you put aside those first those first two songs recorded in uh, in june 79 with with really that just just eric with paul burgess and some support from um uh, from rick then you've got what is the standout track on the album which is make the pieces fit which which i um uh, I think it's a great track, but that was originally destined for 10CC's Look Here album, and that's why you've got Graham playing on that, you've got Rick playing on that, you've got yep. Paul Berg on that. Yep. And when you look at those track sheets, um, as they were recording Look Here, you can see it on the sort of the track list, but by the time they got to the end of, of 79, make, make the Pieces Fit had been switched. Um, I guess because it was the film, it was the song they were going to use in the closing credits, and I know just Jaken apparently was a huge fan of I'm Not In Love and I guess he wanted something, you know, akin to uh, a ballad, I guess, to still finish it off. So unfortunately, I mean, it had, uh, it made, I think, the Look Here album weaker as, as a result. But when the pieces it's unexplainable. The harmony in it, it's unobtainable, no better. But, it, but there was a, yes, the rest of the album. If you take those three tracks out of the equation, the rest of the album was pretty much a, a collaborate, collaboration between Eric and, and Duncan. Very much file under kind of incidental music, isn't it? Really, I mean, I think you, yeah. you've, you've highlighted probably the three most 
coherent and, and strongest songs on the album. Paul, Paul and Panny, would you agree with with that? <laughs> I would. I mean, I I've listened to all of the soundtrack, but a lot of the tracks and the titles are interchangeable. Uh, the, the songs <laughs> you've, the, yeah. to be honest, the songs you've mentioned there, uh, which you know we will talk about, of course. Uh, they're really the only thing that uh, that that rise above the murk for me, to be honest. Yes. You've said it, incidental music. It's a soundtrack, which is yeah. fine. There's there's room for that. But the songs, the other material doesn't stand alone, perhaps was never intended to stand alone. I don't know. Yeah, and, and I was going to add that, uh, you know, Liam, what you say about it being kind of recorded in between sessions of Look Here, uh, that kind of explains, like, uh, how a couple things couple of the instrumental tracks remind me of uh just looking at my notes here uh, dress to kill mm-hmm. uh, little section of dress to kill with the hand claps you know yeah. da, da, that funk you know that funky stuff that little section no you're right you're right And yeah. I, I think "Snatch the Gas" sounds like "Welcome to the World." Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they both both come from the same kind of Duncan Mackay proggy world. Um, yeah. We can talk maybe a little bit about that, but yeah, you can really hear. Look here is definitely in its grooves, isn't it? And vice definitely. and vice versa. Yeah, and in the soundtrack stuff, you know, the incidental music, as we're calling it. Uh, a lot of it just sounds spontaneous, you know, uh, jumping into the studio. I mean, I, I don't, I, I haven't seen the film, so a lot of times uh, composers will look at the film and see what's going on in the film and, and write along with, you know, write something based on what they're, you know, what the visual is showing. Yes. I, I don't think uh, they had, you know, uh, early prints of the film to see the pieces that they were adding the music to, so... Um, no, they probably a, they probably had a scenario, didn't they? Right, here here are the girls going to yet another nightclub to strip off, right. and we want you to put together something that sounds a bit like Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Has anybody, have any of you guys seen the film? Has anybody seen the film? No, no, no. no. Okay, I mean, I haven't seen it either. I've been trying to find it, but uh, there's one DVD version of it that's uh, only available in Europe, and I haven't been able to find anybody who has it for sale. Mm. What are you I'm, thinking of buying I'm, it? I'm just curious to see you know, how, <laughs> how the you know how the music's used in the context of the film. Yes, yeah, so I'd, I'd I'd be interested yeah. in that. Um, yeah, and, and to see how the proper songs are used, whether they're they're used yeah, as proper a proper narrative like yeah. the best songs on Animal Olympics or whether the you know you, you just hear 15 seconds of the ballad kind of in the background I, I do want to add uh, I kind of agree with Liam that uh, Make the Pieces Fit is you know definitely uh, even this early version that wasn't remixed for Fruity Roozies um, it, it's crisper it's underproduced Eric's lead vocal um is good on it. I think it would have been a great single for 10CC if it had been included on Look Here. Mm. And, even, and even the track uh, Warm, 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 you know, the intro of it really reminds me of uh, Cool, Cool, Cool from uh, Consequences for some reason. Okay. 
and it hints a bit of uh, the song Tokyo as well. And, and Eric's vocal is really sweet on it. Yeah, it's it's funny that Panny because I I wrote in my notes that I thought the the intro of Warm 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 sounds almost like the Gizmo. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. definitely got a, a a Kevin and Lowell slant to that, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a feel to it. Yeah, and uh, the problem with the song it just it just has all the cliche lyrics. You know, stop the world, let me get on. Mm-hmm. You know, open your door and let me in and throw away the key. Mm-hmm. Um, Boy, don't stop Graham, me off! Don't stop me off on cliches, Panny. If, if Graham would have had a chance to tweak this a little bit, yep. I think it would have been great, mm. a great ten CC song. Yeah, because it it's kind of like a cousin to feel the benefit. I think warm, warm, warm. There, yeah. there, there is something there, isn't there? Definitely. And, yeah. and Liam, mm-hmm. Liam, I think you're a fan, aren't you? Yeah, I, I love the version on Fruity Rooties. There's, there's, I'm not sure that the... I mean, it's a remix version on Fruity Rooties, but the, the, the vocal, Eric's vocal on the girls' version is just too dry. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the Are you talking, about, you're talking about Make the Pieces Fit here, yeah? Yeah, Sorry, make, yeah. yeah absolutely, Make the Pieces Fit, yeah. But I, I, lo- too, I love that dry. dry vocal. I love mm. it. And I like I, it. I, yeah, do you like it too, Panny? Yeah, I think the I think the version on uh, "Make the Pieces Fit" he's embellished it, maybe double tracked it. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell because mm. there's just a lot of uh, public production on it. Um, mm. yeah, it's I, I like both versions, but if I had a choice, I tend to like the girls' version a little bit better. I'm with you. I, I like I, I like the honesty, the purity of it. Trying to get it right. It's such a mystery, like strangers in the night. Could be a travesty you're going through. I do think it's a, it's um, a, a great song, and I say it's it's interesting. I never could figure out when I when I remember buying the um, Fruity Roots and sort of seeing Graham and Rick and uh, on it, and kind of wondering why that was. And obviously, it was only only later finding out it was actually originally a, a 10 CC song. But I do think it's it's a it's a great record. I, I think it benefits from not having cliched lyrics you know i think when you're talking about the the uh, the mysteries of love it's quite a difficult subject to come out with a uh, you know a good angle and i think yes. i think eric eric avoids that you know nicely with with the song so yeah it's certainly for me the um the highlight of the girls album and um, and one of the the two big highlights of fruity rooties for me yes it, it, it's certainly the highlight of of the girls soundtrack possibly because it just doesn't fit the album at all does it yeah, it just doesn't fit. A, yeah, and that's no, why I'd like, no pun intended. That's like <laughs> that's why I like to see the film to see how it's used in the film, yeah. if it is the film at all. But like, didn't uh, Liam say you said it was used in the closing credits? Yes, it's the closing credits. I think is how that song is used. I think yes. Um, but whether it's got any, re- yeah, I'm not sure the lyrics refer to anything that's going on in the in the yeah. narrative of the film. Who knows? Yeah. I've never never seen it. But it's gotta be inside you. You won't find it in a book Cause if it's growing in your heart Hey, then you've got yourself a star Paul, any, uh, any comments on, on that tune? Yeah, I, I, I'd never, I must admit, until a few months ago, I wasn't even aware of this song, Make the Pieces Fit. And because it's very well regarded, I gave it close study. But after several listens, uh, my notes just say, 
meanders uh, to no great effect, lovely vocal. Mm. Um, I hear you all, and uh, but I don't really hear a, a great song in there. I do like the... Um, the subject matter to me is not necessarily a ro romantic song. It could be about the act of musical inspiration itself, I, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, that's the part about it I like most, actually. And, of course, Eric, it is a beautiful vocal. But, um, yeah, it's uh, on the girls' soundtrack, I prefer the other the other songs, um, you know, of the songs that... that um, yeah, in, a, in other words, girls and warm, warm, warm. I think they're stronger, but, you know. Well, I, I, I like them as production numbers, Paul, and I, I'm sort of with you. I think Make the Pieces Fit, I wish, wasn't on the girls' album because mm -hmm. it kind of, it wrecks the, the mood. And I, I, I confess to quite liking the mood of a lot of these tracks. Um, right. I think my favourite production by a long, long way is the title track, which I think mm. has... Um, a, a tremendous life to it and there's a, a denseness uh, to the textures and the production which I really love it's something that is entirely missing from the Look Here album in my opinion and I wish yeah. there were there were more tracks on Look Here that sounded like girls And I, I like that there's a funkiness. You know, it's up-tempo. Even though it's not a brilliant song, um, yeah. it moves really, really nicely. And I think it's it's a very colourful production. It's like a, a kind of kaleidoscope. Do you know what I mean? There, there's, <laughs> there's depth to it. There's grit. There's, spark, there's sparkly bits. There's, there's all the colours of the spectrum in that recording. If it had been a slightly better song, we could have been looking at a real, you know, an, an absolute stomper of a tune. Did you hear where I'm coming from? Yeah. I think it's, it's got energy. It's got energy to it, hasn't mm. it? There's, a, there's an atmosphere, absolutely. Definitely. I think, I think it's the best song on the record in, uh, as, as a song. I do like it. Um, I like the way it transitions into... The turnaround it's a nice kind of um you know the second part of the song is a kind of turnaround sequence and it kind yeah. of it, it, it kind of latches on in a very interesting way mm. i do the first time he makes that nice musical change though it's unfortunate because it's on the word tramp which is <laughs> which is both you know music musically unsatisfying and lyrically doesn't really give you lift off or doesn't give you a sort of feeling of transcendence as it were which the music <laughs> is trying to do yeah but it, it's it's much better the second time round. but uh yeah i do like the song you gotta Let me just add to uh, when I first came across this, I found a copy of the single on one of my days of record hunting. I think I paid a dime or a quarter for it. <laughs> Japanese single of it. And, you know, you're always excited. Oh, wow, another 10CC or Eric Stewart track. And getting home, uh, I think initially I really loved it. And, you know, uh, listening to it again just in the last uh, couple weeks, uh, I, I think it's uh, an interesting song that it kind of. You know, Eric is kind of touching in 
on that uh, whole uh, thing with woman and sexism, which he later mm. will explore again on uh, what is it, Working Girls yeah, yeah, yeah. on The Jungle. <laughs> so I think that you know, I, I fe- hear when I hear it now, I kind of hear the connection to Working Girls, and uh, as Paul says, uh, you know, some of the well, maybe Paul didn't say, but you know, some of the lyrics are not that great on the song, and. Uh, and yet, musically, I think it still stands up, has a good hook to it too. With the um, you know that little bit. Yeah. I always, I always love that little bit when I kind of hear it. You know. Yeah, girls. Uh, yeah, it's kind of. Yeah. yeah, it is quite hooky, isn't it? And yeah. then, yeah, interesting. You mentioned sort of the musical merits of, of the record. There is some amazing musicianship. Again, I'm, a, I'm a big admirer of Duncan Mackay actually, as a player. Um, uh, he is, uh, he's a wizard on the keyboards. I mean, his, his organ, piano, electric piano and synth playing is incredible. On the evidence and the limited evidence I've got of, of Duncan's writing, I don't rate it at all because there doesn't seem to be either no. here or on the Look Here album anything that's that's kind of coherent and poppy, hooky, yeah. catchy. Mm. Um, maybe that's just not his gift. Maybe his gift is virtuoso playing, and, and this really is. There's some fantastic stuff going on here. I mean, like with um, Disco Lapse or Disc Collapse, um, yeah, you've got the the funky clavy thing, the sort of Stevie Wondery t- type stuff. There's some right. really really good f- kind of funk grooves um, that they're attempting here. Um, yeah, and of course he's doing he, he, he's doing another bionic bore, Paul, isn't he, with Oral Exciter. <laughs> Yes, isn't an oral exciter a musical piece of equipment? It, that... It's an effects processor. Um, yeah, exactly. It, it's, so it's a kind. Yeah, like like an like an EQ unit, basically. It's a, sort of a nice play on words in that it can be taken, you know, given the soundtrack slightly differently. But yeah, um, and there's quite a lot of sexual innuendo, isn't there, in the, yeah, in the track titles? Sure. Yeah, exactly. I was going to mention also, uh, like you say, uh, Sean. Um, it's not clear, you know, who wrote the melodies on some of the incidental music, but the, the two uh, tracks, Your Touch is Soft, yep. and uh, I think the other one is uh, Troubled Shared. Troubled Shared. Yes. The, yeah, both, they're both, both schmaltzy ballads, aren't they? But, but they, have, they have good melodies, and I just wonder if they would have taken the time to really expand them uh, and kind of develop them more. I mean, both of those might have turned into good songs. You know, obviously they needed more lyrics, um, you know, the troubled shared, I think it has some of the lyrics about elevator going down and that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, they're, they're not that which great. Is quite, they, which is quite appropriate yeah. because um, for, yeah. for Your Touch is Soft, I've actually written in there lift music. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and even though it, the, the chords um, that I presume Duncan is adding to the arrangement are really sophisticated, 
Um, yeah. It reminds me of Bruce Johnson's Nearest Faraway Place, actually. And it's got the, oh, that, that same kind of schmaltzy uh, electric piano. But it ultimately, I think, because it doesn't hang together very coherently as a tune, I, I think yeah. it's a, like a poor man's Russian doll from Graham's Modesty yeah. Forbids album. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you too. Yeah, that it, it just kind of it just doesn't go on enough to really develop. You know, as I said, it it just it, you know nice melodies, nice chords. You know, elevator music if you like, yes. lift music. All that, but, oh, you're uh, allowed to say elevator music. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but but I think both of those both of those instrumentals they could have been developed into good songs. I think if mm. they took taken more time with them. Eric yes. may simply have been lacking in energy. I mean, he was still recovering. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how, how, how much energy he did have. And um, or, or I don't know. The, 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 the project, the way the project worked is, is a bit unclear. Perhaps we'll never know. But Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it sounds to me like the band kind of carried him through the project. I mean, when you hear, like, the fabulous yeah. guitar picking on... You know, switch the bitch and disco grinding. Some amazing guitar work. Um, yeah. But you don't really hear Eric's usual kind of melodic structures going on. It sounds to me like three or four lads in the studio jamming. It's actually all all Eric um, and Paul, isn't it? Eric, Paul Burgess, and, um, and Duncan doing it all. Is it? Um, is Rick not yeah, on yeah. there? There's no. There's no uh, th- yeah, I mean, I, I just funnily enough because I've never I never got the album at the times. I don't know. I don't know whether it was actually ever released properly in the in the UK. I just tracked down uh, one of these kind of you know the reissue that was probably illegally sent uh, reissued in Russia, you know, on the grapefruit record yes. label. I got it recently. I, I, I got Fruity Rufus on it. And actually the, the transfers are pretty good, but it also has um, all of the, um, the credits in there. It shows, you know, track by track who, um, who plays on it. Mm. Um, and pretty much the majority of the, of the, you know, if you take out those, say those first two records that were, that were Eric and Paul with the guitar solo from Rick, Pretty much everything else on the record is all Eric, um, Duncan, and and Paul. There's one track which has got two other musicians. Simon Phillips plays. I think it's tonight. Yes, yeah, I think right. has Simon Phillips playing it. And Stuart Tosh is on one, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, and Alan Jones, I think, who's a bass player. Now, yeah. why why there was a different lineup for that track, I, I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I think from talking to to Rick, there was a strange atmosphere in the studio because, as I said, they, it was being done in in parallel. And I think you know, from for the from the guys in the band, they they saw it as a joint Eric and Duncan initiative. So I think I think mm. Rick was was surprised it came out as a pure Eric record rather than as a you know as an Eric and Duncan one. But just, what I would say is just I know when it came out you know Eric Eric was at pains to say this is a soundtrack this isn't a solo album you know that was you know when the when the record was really released yes uh, but maybe maybe it was a way of getting you you know 
getting your toe back in the water, you know, after the, the trauma of the crash and before you kind of then get properly back into 10cc, maybe it was just an opportunity to, you know, to get back into the studio and, um, you know, uh, and get back on the saddle again. Maybe that maybe that was the, um, the impetus for doing it. Yeah, I wrote I wrote yeah. the same thing in my notes for the album. I, I said Eric's health still seems to be suffering, and uh, you know he seemed a bit out of sync still, and was trying to get back on track. And, and this album may have just been a test run, yeah, for to see if he could still do it or was was up to doing it again. Uh, it's you know, and again, I as I said earlier, the album just sounds, especially the incidental music, very spontaneous and just like they were throwing ideas out and noodling and uh, you know came across with some jams or some tracks that they could use for the soundtrack but they never fully developed a lot of this yeah it's 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 a half half-assed and half-hearted collection of, yeah. of bits and pieces isn't it really but useful in, in getting Eric back up to some kind of speed mm. um, and he and he, he he did get back in the saddle didn't he um, you know certainly when, when we get into later into the 80s and, and Eric seems to be getting some of his form back and of course this is going to lead us into um, his next album isn't it his, his first proper solo album Fruity Rooties Before the four of us try and dissect Fruity Rooties which many people consider to be Eric's best album I got a, a lovely email from uh, our subscriber and friend Nigel Collier uh, who we hope to be collaborating with very very soon Nigel very kindly sent me his thoughts on Fruity Rooties which he has a lot of time for and uh, he, um, he started his, his missive to me with a quote from an interview that Eric Stewart did he says Girls wasn't a solo album, it was a soundtrack. So he's asking, would that imply that Fruity Rooties was his first solo album? And it, it sounds like, in Eric's mind, it was. Thoughts, gents? Definitely. Yeah, I, I think it is the first proper uh, Eric Stewart solo album in the sense that I think his focus can't, you know, got to a point where he needed to do this solo album for whatever reasons and you know, whether 10CC is, had disbanded and there was just a gap in time to do it. Um, I know a lot of the songs on the album may not have worked on a 10CC album, so I'm sure Eric needed an outlet to get these other songs, uh, you know, out to the public or, you know. Yes. And, and again, I also think, you know, with his recovery, uh, you know, obviously they had done the Look Here album and, uh, you know, done the tour uh you know, after look here, but I still think Eric might have, you know, to you know, be finding his voice again in the studio and, and in terms of production and um, composing. Uh, I still think he was still struggling to come back to that level uh, prior to his car accident. Um, it's it's kind of interesting because it's it's also a period where I remember um, coming across this album when I was in Europe in '84, and there. You know, I hadn't heard of a 10cc album since, you know, Look Here. And in 84, uh, I found this in Windows Jungle while I was uh, traveling in Sweden. Coming across new material, I was excited 
to see that there was a solo album, which I didn't know about until I found this in Sweden, because it's not like there was an ad in Rolling Stone saying, you know, here's a new Eric Stewart solo album available by import only. Mm. This was not released in the U.S. So again, uh, I think it was just Eric taking an opportunity to record some of these other ideas and songs that he had written that didn't really fit into the 10CC mindset. And in a sense, with that in mind, definitely became uh, his first uh, true solo album. You know, and as as um, the other gentleman said, you know, Girls was a soundtrack, which wasn't really an album uh, with, you know, topics and ideas that Eric had, but, you know, topics and ideas that he was given to write songs about. Mm. Yeah, thank you, Panny. And chaps, do you, do you sort of concur with what Panny's saying there? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I do. I mean, it's it's his, he regards it as his uh, debut album, therefore, therefore it is. Yes, um, that much is true. I think the thing I, w- I would say is let's not forget that you know, ten CC marked to effectively you know was put to bed in august in 1980 so the mm. the yeah. original end you know the 10 cc had, had come to a uh, a close and and both eric and graham started work on solo albums so graham started recording at strawberry north at the end of 1980 for what was supposed to be a solo album with things like don't ask mm. um uh, and and Eric in January '81 started um, work on this as a solo album. So I guess when they started work on it, it wasn't maybe it wasn't side projects. Maybe the the future that they saw were, were both of them were sort of pursuing solo careers. Obviously, what happened in the end was a few months later they decided to come back together and, and record you know ten out of ten. And mm. much later, um, you know, Eric came back and finished this off. But this sort of started in in sort of early part of 1981 was when when this the recording really began um so it's just an interesting context so i think you know they maybe as they were they were starting these 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 records they weren't thinking about you know whether they sit sat inside or outside of the the sort of 10 cc yeah. canon it was it was more around this this is our this is the next phase of our of our careers i guess that's good that's very interesting liam i didn't realize this was started that early now yeah. graham of course did pull off a lot of those uh, tracks and they they ended up on ten out of ten. Do you happen to know whether any of these tracks were kind of excised from the solo album and and went on to the ten out of ten album? I, I don't know for sure. My, my my hypothesis is that 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 when you look at tracks like the original version of Le Nouveau Riche, yes, um, and I think even the original version of of Don't Turn Up Turn Me Away, which came out by mistake, I think, on the te- on the Tenology album. Yes. Um, it was an alternative mix. They sound all like they're Eric and Paul Burgess. Now, whether they were designed to be, you know, part just tracks that he was recording as a as a solo album and some of them, you know, someone said, I don't know, Le Nouveau sounds like a great single. Let's let's do that under Tensy Cinema, I don't know. But my sense is from the beginning of eight, of eighty one, he was you know recording tracks at at Strawberry South, while Eric while Graham was recording tracks at Strawberry North, and I think collectively they picked some of them to pull into ten out of ten, and then started obviously working on some tracks themselves. So that's my that's my hypothesis, I guess, of, of how it panned out. Okay, that's <laughs> that's really interesting. For me, I was, I was having a chuckle to myself the other day and, and looking at the, the title Fruity Rooties which I think is just abominably bad but <laughs> there's something important there I think 
because it's for me it's Eric having fun revisiting his musical roots and having fun with genres that he got extremely excited about. I mean, we, we we talked in the last pod, didn't we, about about how excited he was by rock and roll and rockabilly and etc. And you can really, really hear his influences coming out here. So uh, with with no Beach Boys pun intended whatsoever, um, maybe this album is Eric's pet sounds. You know, that his his favorite his favorite genres, his favorite sounds. What do you think? He needed to get it off his chest. I think he needed to get it off his chest, but, uh, you know, I know you're not comparing it to Pet Oh, no, 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 I'm just using the okay. phrase. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, saying that this is Eric's Pet Sounds. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different stuff on this album, and I've always found that some of it works really, really good, and uh, some of it doesn't. Um, mm. I did one review about this album, and uh, the reviewer said something to the effect that when you listen to the album that you know it has some great great stuff on it but uh he said something that you know a lot of the songs show uh eric's less appealing side and uh i think what he said is you know listening to the album sometimes some of the songs sound like a pub singer who's played at your christmas party <laughs> and he, he won't get off the stage and you know you're trying to get him off the stage but he continues to sing and and after reading that review and kind of listening to it again you know i've been you know very familiar with this album because i play it quite a bit um yeah but you know some of the songs you know leave that kind of a taste in my mouth i mean he kind of nailed it you know Uh, i think there's a few things that eric really you know, had had good intentions to do. Uh, you know, one of the thing, one of the tracks that kind of dr- drives me nuts is "Rocking My Troubles Away" because I think he's really trying to really rock and do like an Elvis thing in it. Yeah, but, it's really, a really sort of fast yeah. rockabilly, isn't it? Basically, yeah, but, but it, it doesn't. It just doesn't work for Eric, and maybe it's because we're not used to hearing Eric do a song in that kind of a style. Mm. But at the same time, as much as there's inspiration there. You know, the end product ends up falling so so flat and so short. Uh, it's almost like, you know, you, you want to get your money back, you know, after you hear that song. I mean, it's one of those songs that when I hear it, even even to this day, uh, you know, I, I have a tendency, and I've said this before, I have a tendency to skip it. You know, I... You oh, know, yeah, absolutely. There are so many, so many of these tracks, Panny, on, on, yeah. on, on frankly, on all of the, the Eric solo albums that I... I habitually skip because I, I just really really don't like them I think this is one of the one of the worst offenders to be honest we had a band in in Britain called Racy uh, <laughs> who, who were kind of the the very final sort of post 50s wave of, of kind of rockabilly we had Shuwaddy Waddy and and Rubettes and Racy if you remember Liam and Paul they kind of came along the end of the 70s I think I remember them well. The last, some girls, yeah, some girls do. Great tunes, great tunes. <laughs> the, the kind of last-ditched attempt to kind of capitalise on the the thing that Mickey Most had made an entire career out of. And yeah. Racy were quite good, but this is just like really, really poor Racy. Yeah. 
I, I'd just like to interject there about, because uh, I think before we go on to the other songs about Eric's R&B and, and blues, I mean, and Panny made the, use the expression, get it off his chest. I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. Eric can't and doesn't want to get the blues or R&B off his chest. It's it's what he <laughs> is. Yes. And now, I think Liam said it, actually. <laughs> I, I said it. Oh, I, I beg, I beg no, I'm Brian, and so is my wife. Okay. I don't want to be shot. That's all. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. Whoever said I, I'm actually defending Eric here. Yes. I think as I'm a I'm a pop and a song fan, and I gravitate more towards Graham, I guess, and and Kevin Lowell, although they're you know more more art school, but they're still they're still m- melodically based. I mean, Eric. Can, can write can write very melodic stuff. I think that's the point. Within 10CC, they kind of dragged him up and they got in so much out of him and, and he, he grew in amazing ways within 10CC. Yes. But afterwards, he reverted to his, mainly to his first love, which is pure rock and roll, R&B, blues stuff. Yes. And yeah, there's song after song after song, which is, which is basically a blues song. Now, I'm not that keen on him either, but can't really fault him because that's that's what he is. That's what he does, yeah. I guess. And he plays it He plays it and sings it well. His voice oh, is, in, is in incredible form. Hey, I'm missing you, but what am I going to do? Baby, baby, when I'm dreaming, it's so easy to remember how I miss you, and it makes me want to say. And, and, yes. it, and it continues to be an in incredible form throughout his, his solo albums, uh, to be completely honest. Um, yes. And this, this for me, it just really, I'm kind of echoing what you're saying, Paul. For me, it just falls down to a pure taste thing. Because yes, I that's it. Because I'm not, I wasn't born on that side of the tracks. Right. I don't like it very much. Whereas, yes. you know, I'll actually like Duncan Mackay doing some, some proggy shit. I'll actually get more out of that. Because yeah. it, it's, it's, it's kind of where I grew up. So it, it, it's purely about personal taste. And there are some people who absolutely love Fruity Rooties. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you more of, of what Nigel says uh, about, about these tracks. Because okay. it's important. Because he is a fan of the record. Um, right. And so it, he, he comes at it from a different angle, certainly to me. And I think, Paul, because you and I come from similar angles on these things we like mm. chordy songs yeah. and um and these don't tend to be chordy songs with with a couple of major exceptions yes so that brings us on to liam the important question do we launch in to the two or three obvious tunes to talk about here yeah i mean i think um maybe we start with doris the florist if i may Ooh. and which uh, shall we do that yeah Yeah, let's peak early. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, I think, I mean, like you, uh, Sean, you know, I guess, you know, having not grown up in that era where rock and roll was, you know, I mean, it influenced all of these musicians and uh, was was so important, but but it's not necessarily to my taste. So as you say, the, the interesting thing about this album is the songs I kind of um, 
gravitate towards, I guess, are the songs that are closer to the spirit of 10CC. Yes. I don't mean that they are like 10CC records, but then, you know, through, you know, a song like uh, Doris the Forest is, is a world away from rocking my troubles away, hmm. um, which I think does speak to the diversity of the record. I mean, I, I mean, maybe that's why it doesn't quite work because of the, the variety of different sort of styles within it. Um, but for me, there's just something, it's always been a real favourite of mine from from the solo works of, of all the band because um, it has a beautiful story. I mean, what I loved, what, one of the things I love about 10CC is their ability to sort of tell a story, you know, within a song. Yes. And, um, and the, you know, the analogy of the florist, you know, who's looking maybe wistfully back at their life and is, you know, the loneliness of, of, of their life. You know, some may look at that as, as, as maybe, um, you know, slightly cliche, cliche metaphor. But for me, the way that it's written is really, really touching. Yes. Um, beautifully told. And I think the, the bit for me that I'd love you to sort of play an excerpt of is, is the sort of, um, when we talk about this, is the sort of middle eight piece. Oh, it's um, so powerful, isn't it? Yeah, because just the way that that comes, you know, lyrically it hits the nail. The the production with the sort of the you know the the repeat vocals sort of behind it, and that that lovely thought about have you ever opened the you know open the door to find no one there? Really profound thought. So for me, what what when I think about this, I think about I don't know whether you you're familiar with Paul McCartney and Wings, the song Girlfriend that yeah. was then later covered by um, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. thing with this is he it's also eric using a different voice you know it's all it's not quite falsetto but it's a, in a higher range than than usual and uh, you know i can almost imagine a, a voice you know like a michael jackson or something you know being able to sort of do a version but i just think it's a beautiful song um that stands out for me as a real highlight on the album and it's always been a um, you know a real personal favorite of mine for all those reasons. So sometimes, you, you know, when I think about, you know, you hear people about, you know, talking about Eric as a songwriter, you know, has Eric written great songs by himself? You know, I think this is a great example of absolutely yes, in my, in my book. It's, you know, for me, it's the, it's the standout track on the album. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. And, I, and for me, it, for me, Liam, it's the, by some distance, the, the total standout track of, of Eric's solo work for me. I'm with you that the storytelling it's really, really subtle. And, and what I think is so brilliant about it is that lyrically, there's virtually nothing there. The story is told in such an economical way. Yeah. With the, the tiniest kind of beautiful little details. And, and, and I think it's, it's Eric doing a sort of Jaime Goldman. Her petals were drooping Though long ago her beauty made them sigh 
you know <laughs> what I mean? He's picking, he's picking out just these these incredibly um, personal and almost trivial details that that tell you yeah. an enormous amount about about this this woman's insecurities, her her past, how she feels about her future, how she feels about any kind of relationship. Do you yeah, hear what me, I'm saying? I know Ziggy yeah. does. Ziggy's a fan, yeah. Yeah, let, let me take it from there. Uh, Sean, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and Liam, yeah, I um, agree with you that this is, you know, probably one of Eric's uh, best tunes. Uh, it's definitely probably my favorite solo tune, if you want to call it an Eric Stewart tune, hey, rather hey. than a C tune. Um, yeah, and, and even what you say, Sean, about the lyrics, I mean, the way Graham kind of interweaves, you know, the idea of the flowers and the idea of this woman in this little world that she's in. And, uh, you know, I, I love how Eric, you know, kind of observes her sorrow. And yet he also finds that she's not interested in changing it and she'd rather talk to the flowers. And he looks at her again and I think Ian said something about the petals drooping on the flowers mm-hmm. and the flowers that people never buy. I mean, that that is such a strong image to me. Uh, I make up CDs of different songs from different artists that I like. And on one of those CDs, I have this track. And when it comes on, you know, I don't think I can't remember what precedes it. But when it comes on, it, it's almost like a, 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 a breath of fresh air. Yes, comes back to me, but at the same time, it almost makes me melancholy because you almost hear the song and you always hope that maybe one day Doris will find some love again. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and and again, it's it's very moving in that effect. Uh, yes, that's the brilliance of the yeah. song. She's declining his his advances, isn't she? At the end of the song, and we're, yeah. le- we're left dangling. It's a cliffhanger. And, it's a cliffhanger, and, and it's like um, L.A. Story with Steve Martin, Panny. Where, yeah. where the the, the the freeway sign is saying "kissy, you mad bastard," yeah. you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that's an exact quote, but yeah, I think the sentiment's there. <laughs> yeah, um, do you also, know what I mean? It, 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 it's actually it's it's brilliant suspense. And uh, yeah, in, yeah. in a minute, when 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 we're done talking, I, I wanted to. I've got the guitar here, and I just wanted to show you a couple of tricks that I think Eric's using. Yeah, and let yeah. me just add before you do that, Sean. Yeah, and the other thing that makes the song so great is the production is so smooth and mm. so subtle. It doesn't overwhelm you. It doesn't, uh, you know, it's not in your face. It's almost like it's pulled back so much, and it kind of makes, you know, everything. Um, it reveals so much if you, yeah. like you say, look at all the little details. Uh, it's it's brilliant to me. I mean, it's. Uh, definitely one of those tracks that may it might have been a, ten, a good 10cc track but i'm glad eric chose to do it on his own oh me me too i think it's a wonderful recording and uh, our friend nigel kind of completely agrees with what we're saying and he he thinks it's such a fantastic piece of writing the production the playing everything um yeah. eric in a kind of a, a rare falsetto moment you know Rather, mm, rather yeah. than giving it the balls out treatment, he's, he's actually singing a falsetto, and we don't hear enough of that from him, I don't think. So many little intricate details. And you really have to hear the original album mix, because, uh, Liam, uh, you, you brought this up in one of our emails before we mm. did this podcast, that the, uh, version, the remixed version on the anthology uh, 
just destroys it. I don't know what Eric was thinking. Uh, Eric really has taken, you know, the version on anthology and just beefed up the drums, and just changed the whole texture of the song. Yeah. Which uh, did he replace the? I think he d- he replaces the snare drum sound, Panny, to some, me. Yeah, it's like he, he, really, he borrows some kind of hip hop, yeah, crunchy drum. Really. Yeah, and anybody who hasn't heard the original uh, version of this, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, if anybody wants to contact me, you know, through Sean, uh, I'm willing to send it to them if they want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you, Panny. Yeah, you know. yeah. Paul, are you are you an equal equally strong <laughs> fan of this tune? Uh, I, I, not quite that way. You three really, really like this one. Um, what? <laughs> it's... It, it, it's not. It's it's good. It, it's the best track on the record. I, I agree with that. I've got a couple of things I'd like to say about it. I wish he hadn't used the title. You know, his alliteration or semi-alliteration there. It, it sounds like a comedy song. You know, it's um, mm. which is a shame because it's any, with, it's any, with it's Nora any, Batty. Well, no, it just sounds. I don't know. It just sounds like it's going to be something silly. Um, mm. So a, a, a different song title would have worked nicely. Um, Liam mentioned Eric sounding a little like Paul McCartney doing Michael Jackson. I think yeah. he actually sounds like Kevin Godley on the opening lines. Wow. Mm. Uh, I did notice that. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good track. I, I must admit, I don't think I like it quite as much as, as you three, but, but, it, but it, is, it is a good track. A good piece of work. One one other thing I'd like to say, uh, if you remember, Sean, uh, with our uh, Birds of Prey pod with Michael, yes. uh, we we picked up a, a melodic similarity between Ode to Billy Joe and Woodwork. Mm. Remember that? Yes. Well, I think we could probably add Doris the Florist to that list because the the main verse melody sounds to me like Ode to Billy Joe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and there's another similarity which we'll come on to in a minute if when I when I throw some badly played chords at you. Yeah, I want to uh, hear the chords, yeah. Yeah, there's there's um there's another song which I know isn't going to come into my head until I'm doing the edit and I throw right. it I throw in um, a track from the 70s in a eureka moment that is like me okay. pretending I knew it all along but I can't place it at the moment. But there's um the the chords I, I I've always found delicious uh, and I was just having having a little play uh, today and they're Paul what chord do you hear there? Oh God, uh, I'm not sure. Okay, well it's it's um I think it's an E7 with mm-hmm. a six thrown in. So the, in an E chord, you've got you've got your E, your G sharp, and your B. Yeah. But um, with this, you you throw in an extra C sharp on top, and it gives it that kind of nice. Loads yeah, and loads I of Beatles songs and rock and roll songs end with the six chord. Yeah. Um. And it gives it a nice gentle sort of jazzy feel, and then. You've got the chromatic bass going up, and then you've got mm-hmm. what sounds like a really jazzy chord, but it's actually just an E minor seventh. 
which okay. is a very standard chord, but over a G bass. Right, okay. So there's the the E6. E minor seventh over G. Back to the E6. Beautiful. Simple. And it's quite a Graham Goldman type majory to minory, right F sharp yeah. minor. Minor to major. Yeah. And that melody there reminds me incredibly of something. Oh, what is that? Yeah, and, and, and hopefully sure. we'll get a million postcards in saying, you know this, you fool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a very kind of Graham trademark um, with the, the major the major to minor, the minor to major. Mm. Uh, and I think it's incredibly subtle. And, and what I like best about this song is the subtlety of it. Um, Rather than it being, a, you know, a, a boogie woogie, boring thing, you know, strictly business or whatever it's called, can't bear yeah. it. For me, Doris yeah. the florist is just Eric actually being much more thoughtful, and I love <laughs> it. The, the ritual, we, we probably do need to talk about it, not least because it takes up over 10 minutes of the album. Um, yeah. I, I've, ri I've written, do you think I'm sexy with delusions of grandeur? Being on <laughs> being on the pull reimagined as an Arth as an Arthurian quest. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, yeah, it is. Paul, honestly, I've written exactly the same things. I've, uh, I've literally written going out on the pull. Right. You know, he, he thinks it's supper's ready. Yeah, yeah. that's one way of looking looking at it it's it's an idea that he's visited before what's the tune on uh look here uh you know where he's one two uh, five yeah where he's going out to the club uh it's one of the later tunes on the album on the on the second side dress to kill it, it might be dressed to kill you know where he's talking about putting on his suit because you're really gonna uh, yeah dress to kill i think yes yeah. it, it's similar to that in struck you know in, in topic and yeah, I don't know why, you know, he has to, you know, it just seems to be something that Eric seems to drop back into. It's kind of like what we've talked about, Sean, before, you know, let me meet you at a restaurant or let's go to a restaurant. And, you know, yeah. it, it, going it, it's out, kind going of, out to a disco. It's, it's a very, very boring subject matter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's interesting in this, you know, because he, he ends up going to the club and, and the ritual is. That whole thing of you know, hi baby, can I buy you a drink? And going through that whole process to meet somebody and hang out and maybe dance with her and maybe end up going home with her. But it, it's not really clear in the song if he actually brings her home because, uh, you know, I was kind of looking at the lyrics and you know he he keeps kind of going back, you know, and he's he's saying, you know, I think I'm in love again. You know, how come I'm falling in love again? And then boom, he's back to reality and he's starting a ritual again because obviously. You know what he thought was love was nothing you know close to it Stop your dreaming, your ship could be sinking. You better stop moving you 
musically, I like the way this kind of flows, except for uh, the way it ends, because it, again, it's another cliffhanger. It kind of leaves you hanging because you're really not sure what he's uh, accomplished or found. But uh, I think it works musically, you know, for the most part. Uh, it is kind of interesting, but then again, it kind of goes on a little bit too long at times. Too. Yeah. There are certainly some really, really nice musical moments in it, I think. Really, really yeah. nice. Uh, some beautiful sounds. Uh, our friend Nigel absolutely loves uh, loves the piece. He likes the, the... There's a kind of epic cinematic intro. There's the, the harp. Yeah. And, and the harp does sound lovely. And then a, what sounds like it might be a choir, but might be a... It yeah. it's almost sounds like a vocoder or something, doesn't it, the choir it at is, the start? It is, Sean. It says, is it? It says vocoder choirs is what it says on the credits. Oh, right. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, because I, I, don't, I don't actually own the album, you see, so... Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an interesting sound that he. I think he, he uses on Doris as well. Is that right? Yeah, I think he does on it too. On yeah. the middle section of Doris. Yes, right. it says vocoder it, strings and voices for Doris. Right, yeah, because in the middle section of that, there's that fabulous mm. pedal bass note that goes all the way through, which is yeah. so I, so wonderful. I've always been intrigued with, you know, the three sections. The first section is called Progress de la Reque. Mm. Anybody, anybody explain that title to me? <laughs> I think, isn't it some kind of 17th century novel, Rake's Progress? I don't Liam, any ideas? Yeah. I mean, the Rake's Progress is a book, isn't it? I mean, that, part three is the Rake's Progress. I mean, I don't know why. It's yeah. Called, maybe I, all I can think of is another way of saying the rake's progress. Oh, okay. yeah. Isn't 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 the rake a, a kind of Lothario figure? I think it yeah. is, Paul. I think it is. Yeah. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll do a research on it, but uh, yeah, I've never been able to understand that. You know, I mean, it's something I'm not uh, tuned into. And also What's the that? part the part three called the dog with four trees. I've always just loved that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I know. Yeah, there's only one thing you think of when you when yeah, you hear that you, phrase. You gotta pee, but where do I pee? You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's funny to me. You know, every time I see these titles, I I kind of snicker because again, I uh, I'm not clear what Eric's trying to say, but yet it just brings up so many things in my mind. Yeah, he he mentions um, now. There's a bit where he, his first conquest, if you like, is mentioned as having a, either a funny face or a funny smile. Funny and smile. Then, uh, funny yeah. smile. And, and at the end there, he seems to be caught in a kind of cycle of endless clubbing and going going home with different women, or the protagonist is. And, and then he sort of thinks back maybe to the one that got away or something, because he references that keyword funny again. Yeah. Mm. Um, there is a bit of em emptiness about the whole enterprise, which, yes. which, which, I, which I think is deliberate. Yeah, yes. exactly. I couldn't. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. You know, part three is boom. He's back to reality yeah. and he's back right. in the club, starting the ritual again. Yeah, because this other one didn't work out. Mm. I've, I've just um, googled the Rake's progress, and I remember from 
this goes all the way, all the way back to doing A-level English at school. The Rake's Progress was a series of paintings by William Hogarth, uh, which okay. showed scenes of uh, you know, kind of depravity uh, in the 18th century. Okay. Uh, yeah. So maybe Eric's just sort of referencing those and and kind of looking at this kind of behaviour with with a bit less than respect, really. Oh, you got it just right. Do you want to dance? Yeah, which does make a little bit of sense now that you say it, uh, based on what the song is about, and you know this whole process that we go through uh you know when we're clubbing our sexual urge you know the 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 cycle of life you know yeah Uh, and you you do get that sense that it's an endlessly repeating cycle don't you yeah so i think so and and again no uh one other thing i wanted to point out about this um it it kind of it's kind of similar as well to uh 24 hours you know which was yet on windows now uh i Mm. find find a lot of connections to it in terms of you know the structure and in terms of uh the lyrical content and you know the, the whole yeah, musically idea it's quite similar isn't it yeah the the intro is similar yeah definitely, definitely. yeah no, nice no good spot good spot and and then another thing that i really like is that there's some something very odd going on melodically with um, eric's use of harmony that really reminds me paul of of bowie's last two albums Oh, yeah. Do you know the bits that I'm thinking of? to impress the ladies sounds exactly like um, songs off black star yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. black star yeah yeah N- not that, that not that bowie would have been listening to to eric's first solo album but there's has, yeah there, there's some has, lovely production touches the backwards there's quite a lot of backwards backwards reverb used on this album which is sounds fantastic i've always been a fan and the way he uses that on that vocal is brilliant And he uses it on, on uh, Never Say I Told You as well, yeah. uh, where there's a, a lovely backwards drum reverb. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some great production ideas on The Ritual. Um, but for me, it's it's a, a lot of good ideas, um, musical and production, pinned on a really boring story. And it kind of goes back, Paul, to what you were saying before. Mm. It's one, two, five, but, but ten minutes long. <laughs> And I know we know how much you love that one, Sean. We yeah, know that. absolutely, Liam. I, I'm, are we being too dismissive? Am I personally being too dismissive of this one? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think it's. Um, I mean, I, I admire the ambition of trying to write an extended piece. Yes. Um, I You know, I think just rather than you know, when you again talking about the the variety on the album, if you contrast it with something like Night and Day and the simplicity of that kind of you know song structure. Um, I like the ambition of trying to write something that's a bit longer. I don't think, as you say, the subject matter or the 
the end point is, you know, it's certainly not up there with any of the other three-part pieces that, you know, that, that 10CC uh, yeah. delivered. What I would say, I mean, as like you say, there are also some lovely moments. You know, I do think that the the introduction, the use of those vocoder choirs, um, you know, there are a couple of passages in it that I like. Um, but it, but it, but it, yeah, it's it's too long, and the subject matter isn't interesting enough to to sort of hold your attention for the for the full length of time. Yeah. Um, but I, but but you know, credit credit to try to write something, you know, in uh, with with that kind of ambition. I think on the positive front. Can I take you No, here, here, and 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 that's why, you know, I kind of fall down in favour of twenty four hours, uh, for yeah. exactly that reason. Because and and for winners in the jungle, actually, if truth be told, and Andrew will be pleased to hear me say this, <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I I like the ambition that they they yeah. actually they had the intention of doing a concept album that almost worked. I never thought of this before. That the, the three part thing is a big deal with Ten CC, isn't it? You know, one yeah. night in Paris. Feel the benefit, even yeah. sweet, sweet FA. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it, not just multi-part. It's always three, isn't it? Never thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, well, it, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a classic, um, a classic structure, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, with four, for four pieces or four parts, you know, make it too long or too uh, involved. Uh, I mean, you know, look at the structure of any symphony. I mean, they tend to be in four pieces, uh, right? But but this isn't quite, you know, structured like that in the sense that, you know, it, it does kind of start and continue to a different section, and then maybe revisit the earlier section uh, in places. But uh, yeah, it's just it's it is an interesting structure, and I, you know, for Eric to take the risk to try to write something uh, like this, uh, it's, mm. it's quite. Uh, an endeavor, you know, for him to try to do it, you know, after something like Feel the Benefit or even, you know, the One Night in Paris, which is obviously Godly and Cream, but, mm. yeah. I think, I think the other thing i just, just just also say is when you when you sort of think about, you know, other than the drums, everything that you hear is is Eric. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and, it, and it's not as per the later solo albums where you're in the world of, of samplers and everything else where you can recreate this stuff, you know, um, you know more simply. You know, he's, yeah, he's doing this analogue, you know, isn't he? Yeah, you know, so the the combination. I mean, I've got the the, the, the credits here. You know, the, all the obviously the lead and backing vocals, guitars, bass, vocoder choirs, organ, piano, percussion, uh, Fender Rhodes. You know, they, there's a in parts. There's some beautiful textures. I think to the music. And I think mm. it's a credit to him. I think as a musician that, and as a producer in a way that he's able to craft that single-handedly in yeah. a kind of an analog world. That, that's what I'd say. I guess and. In, right. in, in a positive front. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there, Liam. And, and for me, The Ritual and Doris the Florist are, are Eric Swan songs in terms of record production. And in a little bit, I wanted to talk a bit about what I hear happening with, with Eric in terms of record production yeah. in, in the later stuff. And, uh, and I also wanted to talk about one other track that no one in the world uh, seems to like at all. Um, certainly not our friend Nigel, and certainly not Eric, because he didn't choose the track to appear on Anthology. And it seems 
It's weird, Anthology seems to have most of the tracks from most of his solo albums on it. Um, but this one that I'm gonna, I'd, I'd like to highlight isn't on there at all. And it's, it's, it's one that pricks up my ears because it sounds a bit like 10cc. And it sounds a bit like early 10cc. All My Loving Following You. Anybody familiar with that one? It starts with those yeah, yeah. Like, incredibly 10cc guitars. Yeah, it, it's a catchy, bouncy track that works, you know, and it does, like you say, Sean, have that 10cc uh, style. Uh, there's mm. a bit of quirks in it, too, which is missing uh, from a lot of this album as well. Um, yeah. And the lyrics, you know, tend to get a little bit boring and drab. Yes. But... I think the thing that I really notice about the song is Eric's uh, guitar solo uh, mm. end of the song is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Until it goes into the sax solo, which I don't like. But uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, one of the album's better songs that tends to get overlooked, too. Oh, I'm like glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. I, yeah, I just no. assumed I was on my own, you know, a bit like it, my, my dress to kill thing. Uh, no, you know, I felt like, honestly, I felt like stabbing myself after that yeah, comment. And, and yeah, having to re-listen to it about eight times during the editing process, you, you, yeah. you don't know what this does to a young man. <laughs> Paul, Paul, and Liam, do you, do you share? Do you, do you think it's, um, a, it's a throwaway track, or I'm, I'm afraid my, my, I'm relying on notes because I do find it. I don't know this album that well, and I've just written strange, unsatisfying song full of stray riffs. Um, but <laughs> but the, the, re the reason I've, it does, I, I do remember it because it sounds neither like any of the blues songs nor any of the two highlights, shall we say, Doris of Florist and The Ritual. So, yeah, mm. it, does, it does stand out. I wonder whether it was just an old song or an old collection of pieces of songs or something that he that he that he threw back in yeah and maybe maybe old 10cc throwaways maybe could be could be yeah i wanted to point out something else too that liam had said about uh and, and sean you as well uh, about you know eric and you know doing everything analog and playing real instruments i mean this is you know compared to do not bend and viva la difference uh, which, I'll, I'll give you that pronunciation, Panny. I'll let that one, I'll, I'll let that one slip, okay? But but in terms of you know when you hear those records where everything is done digitally and done on synthesizers, then mm. you know you and not you done have, very well on on, on any yeah, of that technology. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Eric is basically you know being the solo band you know by mm. using all gizmos and electronic devices that he I wish didn't he had used the bloody gizmo. But anyway, I, I digress. Well, I mean, yeah, you, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But this, but this album stands so much better than those later two because it's more real and it's yeah. more analog instruments and more real instruments. And I not agree. All the and th there's a there's a, a nice murkiness about this record, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Kind definitely. of, it, it's 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 a bit dirty. It's got that the dullness that I was talking about, Paul, last week with Animal Olympics. Look strawberry here, South. bloody tourists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Strawberry South dullness is actually yeah. really kind of nice and it sounds great on vinyl. Tell me, do you feel, do you feel? 
Yeah, and, and then suddenly, yeah, Panny, like you were saying, in, in yeah. the 2000s, um, what we're hearing yeah. is something very, very different indeed. What, what is that instrument that you guys were talking about? We talked about it before that was used in the 80s. Uh, not the, was it the Prophet 5 uh, keyboard? Which one? DX, DX7 was yeah, the DX, ubiquitous yeah. one. Yeah, and, and it's funny, after you guys talked about that on one of the previous episodes, that we did. Uh, I went back and listened to some things, and oh, I couldn't believe on how much stuff that was on. It just, <laughs> you know, for 10, 10, 12 years, it was like the main keyboard, you know, mm. for so, so many hits and so many things. And yes, uh, uh, yeah, the sound of every every American uh, FM radio ballad. Y- yeah, you hear every- that Yamaha electric piano sound. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah it, it's it, yes, yeah. it's the devil's own work. Yeah, and it's just, you go back to it now, and it's like, oh shit, not that sound again. Yeah, what I yeah. do with a lot of money, this is what I do, chaps. I'd I'd go back to Eric's auction, I'd buy his electric piano, and then I'd travel back in time to the eighties, <clears> and and I would record over every single one of those Yamaha tracks with Eric's yeah. keyboard. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Liam, you've been quiet for a little while. Um, you can either you can either tell me that you also think that all my loving following you is an underrated sort of ten cc pastiche, or you can try and convince me to like guitars, which our friend <laughs> Nigel absolutely loves. He, he feels it's quite a unique song. Well, I think as far as all my loving following you is concerned, I mean, I, I don't think it's an you know an underrated kind of ten cc esque song. I mean, I, I do I do know what you mean about the opening riff yeah. as that echo. The highlight for me is the guitar solo in the middle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think one of the things I love about Eric's guitar work, particularly when he's, he can be very economical as a mm. guitarist, you know, mm. just can say everything in a, in a really short solo. I'm thinking about the end of Honeymoon with B-Troop or something like that, you know, and just a beautiful little solo to sort of finish it off. And I think what I, what I love about the solo on this song is just it, it takes it momentarily to a different space, you it's, know, and it's a great solo. Yeah, I, I agree. Fabulous. Yeah, it saves it for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Saves it. Yeah, yeah. And how about guitars? I mean, there's, there's <laughs> there are some, there's some amazing playing, isn't there, on on guitars? Yeah. And um, I like the way he's having fun trying to emulate the production styles of the different eras and genres. There's a there's a great. I mean, I, what I would say is to say I'm not I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the of the the finished song. I do love the idea of the song. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, the idea of I'm gonna you know trace my my roots um there's a great article which i can send to you guys if you haven't seen it that was um it's an interview that he did with international musician i think uh, a while before the album came out where he talks about he specifically went out to buy different amplifier and um Mm. guitar combos for each section of the song wow you know to try to emulate his heroes i mean that's how that's how much fun he was having he's like i'm gonna try and 
I don't know, write uh, a Cliff Gallup solo or whatever. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to use I don't know a Telecaster and this mm-hmm. uh, amp as a sort of combo. Yeah. Now I think so. I love the idea of the song, a homage to guitars, you know, a homage to his roots. Um, great opportunity to to show the, his versatility as a guitar player. Mm. Um, I think Paul Burgess's drumming on it is great in certain places, um, but it doesn't. You know, it's not a track that I kind of go back and listen to a, a great deal. But no, it's I like a no, it's like a novelty it. project, isn't it? And yeah, it, yeah, the song yeah. itself is just irritating. Smoke my shake and I never shave. big problem with it is Eric's rap style lyrics that you know, he'd sing to that lower timber, which I, I, I can't stand it, but, but all the different sections with the different guitars, I mean, that's marvelous to me because you can really hear how different the sounds are for each guitar and each amplifier that he's using on those mm. sections. And the one, one thing that I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, one of the lines says uh, something like, uh, she moved to Marrakesh and joined the people who talked to flowers. So yeah, I know. Of, and then they smoked loads and then smiled yeah. a bit on stage. Yeah, I, I think that's the <laughs> it's kind of the like only a, lyric I like in the song. I think. Yeah, but it's a reference to Doris, kind of an indirect way, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah, which I've kind of noticed. Yeah. Yeah. In last week's pod, I was talking about when the Mindbenders went kind of psychedelic in '67, and. Yeah. This Marrakesh moment, Panny, is exactly what I was talking about, where they, they, they suddenly start wearing flowers around their neck and, yeah, uh, and smoking jazz fags. Well, when I look at the rest of the tracks that we haven't really talked about, uh, like Strictly Business is another one that I just kind of... Yeah, I, I, I just... God, I can't wait for it to end so I can, you know, <laughs> move on to something else. Yeah. It's I've, written, I've written two two words in my notes on that one: boogie bore. Yeah. I just wrote 50s groove, not very inspired. Yeah. Eric's singing and playing brilliantly. Uh, he really is. Uh, you know, you've got to admire his, his vocal and, and, and guitar chops. They, they are fantastic. And there's some great, you know, there's great production ideas uh, throughout this album, but it, often it's just, for me, it's just, like I said before, a taste thing. It just doesn't excite me. Paul, you've been quiet as well. Yeah, I, I have. I'm, I'm desperately trying to think of something to say about these tracks, but I can just echo what I said before. that they, By this stage, Eric's largely diverged writing-wise from what I personally enjoy. Uh, yeah. You know, he's just, I won't say regressed, he's just hes just gone back to the source, and for him the source is, is, is blues and blues changes. Yeah. 
you know that that's that's him that's what he wants yeah. to do but when he yeah. does but when he diverges away from the blues paul suddenly yeah. uh, you and i are, are kind of brought more into the picture aren't we you think oh yeah that's interesting but uh, ultimately for me this album is is kind of like a watered down um facsimile really of, of what we've seen from eric over the years the ritual is kind of like a a, a watered down feel the benefit and make the pieces is yeah. kind of a watered down people of love people in love yeah. um do you know what i'm saying and then uh, and all my love loving following is, is sort of a few kind of mediocre bits from 10 cc and then you've got this kind of what becomes a towering gem um, amongst the mediocrity in my opinion in doris the florist which if it if it had been put on an album in the 70s might we might have dismissed mm. maybe it maybe and, and i'm I, i'm playing devil's advocate here maybe yeah, we I like doris that's... the florist so much because it, it's it's a flower that stands you know head and shoulders above the rest of the field yeah. oh very good very yeah good. sorry that was uh, that's the wine yep. talking i think and, and you know, <laughs> Other, other than you know the ritual and make the pieces fit and Doris and uh, to some extent all my love following you, the other tracks are totally uh, different from anything that Eric has written for 10CC. Mm, yeah. They're just other styles that. Uh, we're not used to hearing. Well, he, uh, he did. He did throw in those bluesy ones. Yeah. Well, he, he, he did write them in the Hot Legs days. That yeah, was he his did. most popular. Mm. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, so I, I'm not familiar with all the Hot Legs stuff. Well, I don't remember. But you know, listen back to Deceptive Bends. You know yeah. that. You know that it's all over that. Um, yeah. And when you and you, you look at um, him and Kevin collaborating on on How Dare You, you know that it's it's blues. But yeah, somehow not, it, it somehow it had more of a, I don't know, melodic interest and a bit of an edge. Yeah, yeah. I've talked about tracks like Night and Day, which you know just have oh. such, it's it's got such a cluttered production. It has that Tin Pan Alley piano. Uh, yeah, you know that Eric is playing you know pretty amazingly. But uh, I, I'm glad the song is only a couple minutes long because I can't. <laughs> wait. Will you cry? Yeah, I know, there's nothing for me. I've written Boogie Boar to that one as well, and, and I must have got confused with, with the last track on the album. Yeah, it's it's no disrespect to, to the guy's skill as a musician, because he's, you know, he's brilliant. For, for me, do you know, with with Eric's solo albums, to me it almost feels like a, a semi-tragedy, because seriously... This is a guy who's one of my vocal heroes of the 70s. He's one of my songwriting heroes of the 70s. And he's absolutely up there as one of my, my best production record production heroes of the 70s. Um, I, I hold him in, in enormous esteem. And <clears throat> I just th that esteem is, is kind of disappearing very, very quickly from the 80s onwards. And I, I wonder, you know, what happened? Did he did he lose inspiration, or like Paul says, is he merely 
returning to his roots because it's comfortable and it's where he he's happy. Well, I think the other thing that we, I guess, we need to factor in is, you know, the the impact of the accident. Yes. Um, because you know, for like like you, um, you know, Sean. I, I mean, you know, Eric. You know, on all those fronts. You know, as a producer, engineer, um, as a musician, as a vocalist, and and also as a songwriter. You know, certainly from that sheet music period through to you know, Bloody Tourist. Whether you 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 like that album or not, and I know that some people have different views. You know, no, no, no I, do, I do, I do. But you know, he's on fire in that period. Yes, and and he is a he is a driving force behind a lot of the the great music in that in that time. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, 10cc run out of uh, you know uh, of tracks. I guess after the the accident, that that's that's clear for me is that, that 1979 is the moment where you know 10cc never really recover again. Yes, um, which for me shows how important Eric was in. You know, certainly uh, in the in the original band, but but certainly in Ten C Mark Two, mm. that without him firing on all cylinders, um, post seventy nine, it became it just very didn't hard happen, did it? it to, just so, didn't happen. So so part of that, you know, is the you know the impact, um, whether it's psychologically, whether it's you know on uh, and it was certainly on his, his hearing, as we know, you know, and he says was was affected by it and, and everything else. You know that that's the other thing post post. Um, post-79 we need to sort of factor in so it's probably a variety of all of those things yeah well said Liam I think the other thing too is you know uh, the changing times the changing uh, of the music scene too Um, you know some of these uh, later albums you know or these solo albums just are out of sync with what was going on in 82 and 83 and uh, even later on and and, you know with You Not Bend and uh, Viva La Difference they're just not in sync with what's going on in the rest of the music business and you know maybe maybe just you know eric just has lost you know a run out of ideas and just kind of lost that ambition to try to uh i don't know you know write something of relevance i, I don't know how to really put it into words but when the peace is built, it's unexplainable the But let's not forget that um, his career, maybe unlike Graham's, but but like Kevin and Lowell's, I guess, had uh, other dimensions to it. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a collaborator, a producer yeah. uh, with with many artists with varying levels of success. But he, he didn't, I mean, he made these two solo albums we've just talked about. Then there was a 20-year gap before, before he came back to it. So mm-hmm. he, he, he was doing tons and tons of other things. So we shouldn't just judge his 10CC or his post-10CC career on these four records. That was just one sort of slice yeah. through his whole career, really. Agreed. Agreed. Jay, it's been really interesting talking about Fruity Rooties, which, um, you know, on balance, I think we, we agree is, is Eric's best solo album um, and as you rightly say Paul he, he did so 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 much more uh, than this but Nigel was saying I think some really 
key points here. He's talking about Eric's vocals being, some of them beautiful, controlled, restrained. Sometimes they're really rollicking. Um, uh, he, he describes them as a raucous, rocking vocals, and I agree. Uh, he's really going for it, and, and Eric does it so, so well on this. Um, Nigel's raving about Eric's lead guitar work, and I think this album really is a showcase of Eric's brilliance as a guitarist. Um, uh, he, he singles out Strictly Business and Guitars, as an example. Um, and he, he's quite right as well in, in highlighting the, the fact that the album has so many different textures, contrasts and atmosphere, and, and he singles out the ritual Doris the Florist and Guitars, which we've all mentioned. And, um, and I agree with him that his later solo albums just don't have that variety of texture. And when we come onto those those two albums, gents, uh, you know, I, I think I'll be I'll be letting rip about some of the production decisions on those. And then Nigel's talking about Eric's early influences like the blues, rock and roll. Uh, I'd add rockabilly in there as well. There are no steel drums, uh, calypso, or reggae tracks. Yeah. Um, Sean Sean inserts the word hurrah at this point. <laughs> um, and. Uh, he also says, and I love this, he's playing to the gallery here, and, and it's very naughty of you, Nigel. He says, there are, I think, minimal, if any, lyrical references to eating in restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, I know. So thank goodness. Thank goodness. Could you could you imagine if Eric had written a song about going to a Wimpy's and getting a Wimpy burger? <laughs> <laughs> Do they even exist anymore, Wimpies? <laughs> yeah, they're, they they're, they're about three, I think, in Britain, aren't they now? Yeah, there's a couple around, I think. Yeah. It, it was a highlight of my life going to the Wimpy on a Saturday. <laughs> I Ni- remember Knickerbocker Glory. Oh, come on. Yeah. I remember going with Mickey <laughs> Marker at one time, and uh, I know we're digressing, but, yeah, pretty, pretty bad burgers compared to what we can get here in the States. <laughs> oh, right. oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just uh, not to mention the uh, politically <laughs> incorrect vendor. Yeah. <laughs> well, so was that the sausage that Ben? That was the sausage. Was called the bender. Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. know. It was called the yeah. bender. Well. Wow. Yeah, so now that we've we, we've ripped this album apart uh, in in positive and negative ways, and I've enjoyed doing it. Actually, I have to confess. Any final thoughts, chaps? Well, I think um, it's it's a fair summation. I think of, of of the album. I think it is a mixed bag, as we've as we've talked about. I was very excited at one point because I thought until Paul spoke, we were going to get a full house of double thumbs up for Doris the Florist. Yeah. We didn't quite get there. Although I, I honestly, I, think... I, I had a, I had my mortgage on on Paul being a fan of that. I have to say, yeah, one thumb, one thumbs up, one thumb. Yeah. So I think I think we're all agreed that stands, you know, definitely out as a. You know, as a as a as the highlight of the album, and yeah. um, you know, I think we're all you know. It sounds like none of us are really in the camp of wanting un sort of um, you know uh, you know the, the kind of the blues from the source that we're kind of getting on some of the other tracks. Equally, there's some great moments of um, Eric's you know studio music musicianship and production. You know, finesse you know still evident here. So mm. I think I think overall it's been a very you know fair summation of the of the album. Yeah, I can continue with that a little bit too. I, I think of all of Eric's solo albums, we all agree it's probably his best album and his best attempt to 
kind of instill all the different uh, influences and styles that he likes to write in. Um, anybody who has not heard the album, I really think you need to get the vinyl mix of it, though, and make sure uh, you hear that before yep. you uh, get the mixes of the seven songs that appear on the anthology. Yeah, um, and that's what we'll be hearing on the pods. Uh, although I'll, yeah. I'll be, I think I'll be doing a little bit of a compare and contrast uh, yeah. with, with those, uh, perhaps on a later episode, Panny, to be honest. Yeah, and I, and I also think that Fruity uh, Rudy's continues to show what a great guitar player Eric is because that's... Mm still one of the things that shines through his ability to do uh, some interesting production techniques you know using the vocoder on a couple of the tracks uh, but his guitar playing is still top notch for the most part and uh, in spite of the album falling a bit short uh, I think it does have some brilliant stuff on it, it does have some brilliant stuff on it yeah well said and um, and our, our good friend Nigel who, who I have to say Nigel thank you so much for for, for your contribution uh, and, and, and that lovely sort of mini essay that you sent through. Um, and I'm sorry that we've not been able to read all of it out, but there's been just, we agree on so much and disagree on some as well, which is really healthy. Um, it's great that you've agreed with us that the ritual, Doris, and Make the Pieces Fit, probably the strongest tracks on there. But uh, perhaps if I can leave the final word to Nigel, um, I, I was really tickled by this. He said, uh, and I'll read it out word for word because I think it's great. He said, although some uninspired lyrics are evident, fortunately, Eric doesn't sing any three-way variations of the word baby on this album. This is a real <laughs> bugbear of mine. For example, take these change. Baby, baby, oh baby. Another later track. Is it Code of Silence? Features a yep. uh, baby, baby, baby. And there's more than just these. <laughs> and I'm sure answers on a postcard, please, folks. However, yeah, he seems to avoid he, he seems to avoid the triple baby thing this time around. <laughs> so faint praise indeed, Nigel, but I loved that and thank you so much. Boys, uh, it's been a pleasure tonight. Uh, thank you for your stamina and uh, looking looking forward to a rematch really, really soon. Oh yes. Yes. Great. Um, All right, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, take nice care. To meet you, Penny. Stay thanks. safe. See you yeah. soon. Stay safe. See you later. Bye. See you lads. Bye bye. She said, I thank you so, but no. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening uh, why do i do this um, <laughs> liam you'll know um, yes because you love it <laughs> yeah that's exactly yeah, labor of love. it's a labor of love you know <laughs>